The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Hi, friends, and what's good, y'all? Schwebzy here, and I've got some good news. No bit this week about Jordan not being here because Jordan is actually back. He won't be providing any expert analysis this week because he's taken a vow of silence, only to be broken if I, Schwebzy, ever have a bad take. And unfortunately, I just don't really ever see that happening. Sometimes being right 100% of the time has its downsides. So I'll just have to record this episode while Jordan watches on in silence and we just generally gaze longingly into each other's eyes because I've missed him so. Don't tell my wife. Uh, at this point, I've been doing these solo episodes for four weeks. And <laughs> what I what I really hope is that someone who has only just started listening to this podcast for the past month has gotten used to the vibe and flow of, of me being alone and just talking to myself for 45 minutes. And I want those that person, those people to have their worlds utterly rocked to their core once Jordan gets back and our combined chaotic energy gets back together and just brings the the rambling and nonsense and non sequiturs that you guys uh, hopefully <laughs> enjoy so much. Uh, yeah, you, you longtime listeners know the type of chaotic energy that we bring. And hopefully uh, someday in the near future, the boys will be back in town. But uh just to give everyone an update on the state of the podcast and how the coming weeks are going to go down. Next week will be business as usual with just probably just little old me on the 27th uh, next Saturday, but there will likely be no episodes on September 3rd or 10th as I will finally, finally be getting to go on my honeymoon 17 months after getting married. Thanks, COVID. I haven't really decided yet if that's going to be it for the year or if there will be one or two more episodes at the end of September before Jordan and I hibernate for the playoffs and uh you know recharge for next season but I'll uh, I'll try to send out an update via social media if anything changes try not to miss me too much uh if we are approaching the end of the in the deep season there are still so many incredible podcasts on the Pitcherless podcast network that I promise you will be able to find something at least six times more enjoyable than than this drivel that we put out into the world. Uh, I'd suggest going to listen to you know Winds Above Fantasy or uh, On the Wire and any of the other great 
fantasy podcasts on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. And uh, I mentioned our socials before. As always, you can reach out to us on our Twitter accounts, Jordan at Bunt Singles, myself at Schwebzi, S-H-W-E-B-S-I, or our shared podcast account at In the Deep PL. On that Twitter account, you can find a pinned tweet with a Google form where you can ask us questions. Or our joint email account, in the deep PL at gmail.com. And I, I actually did get some hate mail this week. I know I always ask for hate mail and nothing has changed there, but something that I've neglected to mention is that if you do send us a good question or just, you know, a funny email, there's a good chance we'll talk about it on the podcast. And who doesn't love that good little serotonin rush from stuff like that? Anyways, the email. Dear Schwebzy. I've adamantly refused to send you the hate mail you've so desperately wanted until now. Now, first of all, I'm going to interject here. Desperate? Me? Desperate? Just because I ask all the time and would die without interaction from our fans doesn't make me desperate. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, anyway, um, the word niche is pronounced niche, not niche. Not like a 19th century German nihilist or any other ungodly way of pronouncing it. I will die on this hill. Love, your fellow mod, Justin Havelock. I am going to go out of my way to say that word more often than I have before. I'm going to say it all the time. Every player blurb is going to involve that word now, and I'm going to say it niche every single time just because of this just because of this this is that's what that's what you get for that's that's what you get for listening to my wishes and and writing in a a wonderful mail but anyway we do have uh, some actual fantasy analysis to get to today the uh today's episode is going to be a a, a deep dive and a half. Usually I, when I'm by myself, I only do one, but I, I was moved to talk about a second player at length today. So we're going to do two deep dives. We are going to do our usual honorable mentions and uh, we're going to do what we did last week. And we're going to do a bullpen power ranking at the very end because sub 20% closers are a mess right now. And I, I just, I need to complain. I, I just need to complain about it really. So on to the deep dives, our first deep dive of the day. And I cannot believe I'm doing this. It's Austin Voth. Everything inside of me is screaming not to do a deep dive on Austin Voth. You'll regret it, Schwebzy. Don't do it, Schwebzy. It's Austin Voth. Why would you care? But here we are. We're doing a deep dive on Austin Voth. You might remember Voth from such hits as I have a 5.09 career ERA or I was a 2022 Washington National, which usually by itself, that alone should make you not want to roster a player this year. And I want to tell you about his numbers as a Washington National, but I'm not sure I'm allowed to because this is a family website and these numbers are, ugh. these numbers are disgusting. They're, they're downright hard to look at. So please, if there are children nearby, don't let them hear that Austin Voth Pitching strictly as a reliever for Washington, allowed 21 earned runs in 18.2 innings, good for a 10.13 ERA, and I use the word good very loosely here. He allowed a 16% home run to fly ball rate, a 455 BABIP, and a 52.3 left on base percentage, which are the three numbers that we here at PitcherList call the hotel. 
the Holy Trinity equating luck. For a lot of pitchers, this is where I would now tell you that he just got unlucky and he was actually fine. He just got unlucky. Nope, not today. Voth stunk and he got unlucky on top of that. He had some promising stretches in his early Nationals career, but he ended his tenure in the Capitol by allowing multiple runs in five straight relief appearances. He was in such a rut that the Nationals, who might be the worst team in baseball, actually DFA'd him whereupon he was immediately claimed by the Orioles, who, notably, are kind of good now. I mentioned that Voth pitched strictly in relief for Washington this year. Well, pretty much immediately upon taking that short trip from D.C. to Baltimore, the Orioles started stretching him out to be a starter again, like he was exclusively before 2021. Voth was legitimately promising in 2019 as a starting pitcher, in spite of the super bounce ball. And then in 2020, he was absolutely terrible in 11 starts, and I guess the Nationals decided that he just didn't have it as a starter at that point, because after 2020, they never really let him start another game. The Orioles choosing to stretch Voth out has proven to be a prudent decision, as he's casually put up a 2.81 ERA as an Oriole, and a slightly better 2.76 as a starter. It's actually pretty funny going through Nick Pollock's starting pitcher roundups blurbs for Voth over like over the last couple of months back in June the blurbs start off like boo this is a bullpen game boo openers and then it transitions to kind of indifference because it's Austin Voth who cares and then on July 10th that blurb starts whoa this worked and it hasn't really stopped working since then and the big question everyone should have is what changed What made Voth go from a bad reliever to a seemingly cromulent to good starting pitcher? Stop me if you've heard this one before, but Voth has drastically changed his pitch mix. His four-seamer has been absolutely obliterated over the last two seasons, so he stopped throwing it as much. And he's completely ditched his slider over time in favor of a cutter that he now throws a quarter of the time. That cutter that has gotten a lot more play this year, might be his best pitch now. It's above average in almost any metric you can point out, and in spite of allowing a 381 BABIP, it's been good. He locates it really well, and I think we can just comfortably call this cutter a good pitch. Ditching bad pitches is good, and but you know, obviously ditching them in favor of a good pitch is even better. And since reaching Baltimore, Voth is throwing the cutter more, and he's throwing his curveball more. He's had a couple of games lately where his curveball got close to a 40% CSW, which, if he can repeat that, is outstanding. He's already done it twice. He's now at a point where all three of his pitches get whiffs at an above-average rate, his four-seamer, his curve, and his cutter. And I think there's room for him to get even better here, like focusing on his pitch sequencing, because he's not really one of those guys that gets a lot of like first pitch curveballs that he just kind of drops in to get a called strike. His his curve he uses more as the out pitch than the uh the, the get ahead pitch. He's been mostly three pitches only this year, but interestingly, in his last start at Toronto, which I was nervous about, his curveball wasn't quite working, and he busted out his old slider. It hasn't really been a great pitch historically, but I'm keeping an eye on that to see if he goes back to that well, 
because it seems like he's got a good thing going with the current three pitches. Uh, like I, I, I wonder if this is just a one game blip to keep the Blue Jays off balance when his whole repertoire wasn't working or if it's something that he's actively working on integrating more. He's also got a change up and something that I like about his fourth and fifth pitches, uh, words that I, I, I use loosely because he hasn't used them often, but he uses the slider exclusively versus righties and he uses the changeup exclusively versus lefties and being a right righty pitcher himself, that makes sense because you want the ball to break away from a batter generally. So if he does start working these pitches in more frequently, he would technically have a, a solid four pitch mix against any batter. But full disclosure, looking at his changeup, I'm pretty sure it stinks. But, you know, it might still work as a change of pace if he uses it at the right times. I've spoken before about being a fan of streaming Orioles pitchers at home. And I mentioned last week that Voth might be my new favorite of the bunch. And after doing this research, I feel the exact same way. I love Voth as a streamer for the rest of the year. And he honestly might be someone worth adding and holding for the next six weeks. At the absolute minimum, I think he's a must-add streamer for this coming home game against Chicago on Tuesday, the Chicago White Sox. I added him in my AL only league recently, and I honestly, I didn't expect him to do well against Toronto at Toronto, but he survived and I am all systems go now until he gives me a reason to doubt the new Voth. He's gone, like one of his biggest problems as a reliever for Washington over the last couple of years has been the home run ball. And not many people realize how much of a home run park RFK Stadium is. But he's gone from one of the worst homer stadiums in baseball for a pitcher to what is now the best home run suppressant park in baseball. So, I mean, they took his biggest weakness and basically completely removed it just by moving him to a different ballpark. I, I There's a lot to like here, I think. Plus, the Orioles are just on a crazy heater right now, and they, they look like a legit team right now. It's like Adley Rutschman has helped to uh, transform that team. And, you know, as a professional hater of all of the NL East, besides the Mets, it would make me really happy to see the Nationals give away a good starting pitcher for literally nothing to a team they hate just because they don't know how to develop players. Anyway, speaking of my NL East Mets, our second deep dive today is going to be David Peterson. Now, I'm going to go a little less in-depth into Peterson than I did into Voth, but I just I just have so much to say about what Peterson has done this year that I, I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to cheat him and myself and uh, relegate him to an honorable mention. The Mets are down two starters right now. Carlos Carrasco got hurt and Taiwan Walker got hurt. They beat they both only pitched two uh, two innings in their last start. Taiwan is supposed to be back, but this is twice now that he's had to exit a game recently early due to various injuries. So it's, I don't know. I'm, I, I just do not have the most confidence in him right now, but there's at least one rotation opening for Peterson. So he is going to get one start today. When you're listening to this Saturday, uh, it's going to be home against Philly. And then he's going to get a second game on Friday against Colorado at City Field. And I know this could go horribly wrong, 
because it's such a no doubt start that this could just be one of those that's baseball Susan kind of starts where everything that can go wrong does go wrong when you're not expecting it to. But I have never smashed an add player button harder than I did to add Peterson for a start against the Rockies on the road. Peterson's actually kind of on the Jacob deGrom program where he adds velocity every year for no real reason. And that's a good thing for him because his fastballs are the only real chance the opposition has to do any damage. David Peterson has an absolutely obscene 47.5% whiff rate on his slider. That's better than Dylan Cease. That's better than Shane McClanahan. It's just a silly number. The only starting pitchers above him are Max Scherzer, Corbin Burns, and Spencer Strider, which is all just to say that Peterson's slider is a truly elite whiff offering. I mean this when I say this. I have never seen anyone try to throw as many backfoot sliders as David Peterson. It's like it's his favorite thing to do. I'm confident that that is his favorite thing to do as an athlete. What this means, though, is that a patient team can wait him out and take advantage of his 11% walk rate, which is you know pretty bad for a starting pitcher. You know, a reliever can get away with an 11% walk rate. It's very difficult for a starter to get away with that. All of this is to say that if you're in a deep league, I doubt there are many, if any, better strikeout arms than this on the waiver wire. I roster him in a bunch of leagues already, and I'll admit to being a little bit nervous about his start today at Philadelphia. Sorry, uh, home, home uh, in City Field. But I, any matchup against the Phillies can be tough with the bats they have in their lineup. And with that, we are going to take a little ad break. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PO Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show and we are back. And oh, look at this. I'm going to talk about another Met. We're going into our honorable mentions. And this is your high upside must add prospect of the week. If you're into that sort of, you know, gambling type of playing, I'm not I'm not usually big on prospects, especially ones this young and unseasoned. But uh, Brett Beatty has been called up. He made his surprise debut for the Mets thanks to a spate of injuries. and. He made his mark early on by hitting a pretty terrible Jake Odorizzi pitch out of the park for his first Major League dinger and his first Major League plate appearance. In his two games so far, he's already displayed both his upside and his risk, hitting six batted balls, one for a home run, and the other five being ground balls. He's hitting the ball hard, which is great. He hit a 113 mile per hour ball lefty-lefty, which is not the most common thing. 
Uh, and it was off of Tyler Matzik, who is not the easiest pitcher to hit. But I can't shake this idea that he's got a little bit of Alex Bohm in his game, which is not ideal for fantasy. He might just be one of those good hitters that doesn't elevate the ball consistently enough to get to his power, which there is plenty of. There's also some risk here that he gets demoted once Eduardo Escobar and or Luis Guillorme are healthy. So I, if I need someone, like if I need someone for the rest of the year, I wouldn't add him. If it's for a bench spot or if it's temporary, you know, if you're, if you're comfortable adding and dropping and not having this guy for the playoffs, uh, you know, he's definitely worth an ad. The potential is great, but I, I wouldn't add him over someone like uh, Renhifo because, you know, I, I'd rather have the guy that's going to produce for the next six weeks, basically guaranteed. One other tantalizing prospect for the week came up and it's Shea Langoliers. And if you're not familiar with Shea Langoliers, he is a catcher and the baseball world always needs more catchers with a pulse. Uh, and allegedly, Shea Langoliers has a pulse, so we have to pay attention. Like Beatty, he's also already hit his first major league home run, but he has also struck out in eight of his 16 plate appearances so far, which is not what you want. He's got the old higher batting average than OBP thing going on right now, which is also not what you want. But I don't really expect that to uh, continue because he's displayed pretty good plate discipline in the minors. Oakland has said that they're going to get him plate appearances at both DH and catcher to see what they've got in him. So he should get more plate appearances than your average catcher. And he's absolutely worth a dart throw if you're in a two catcher league and carrying, you know, a dead weight second catcher right now. As I mentioned earlier, Jordan is here with me, staring at me unblinkingly, just daring me to say mean things about Christian Yelich or that really bad Aaron Ashby start yesterday, but I won't do that. What I will do in Jordan's honor is mention how awesome Lamont Wade Jr. has been lately. Since the moment I cut him from my NL only team on August 9th, not that I'm bitter or counting or anything, Late night, late night Lamont has four home runs in 24 plate appearances with a 212 WRC plus. In that time that he has a 212 WRC plus, he also has an 091 BABIP, which is incredible. That's so hard to do, but I guess that's what hitting a bunch of dingers will do for your numbers. Lamont has had a pretty weird year as his walk rate is up, his K rate is up, and he's hitting the ball in the air more all of which are normally things that kind of portend a, a breakout. But he's just hitting so, so many medium to deep fly balls that it has destroyed his batting batted ball profile. And he's for the year, he's got an amazingly low 179 BABIP. Usually you hope that that's around 300 for a hitter, you know, for, for it to normalize there. In theory, better things are ahead but he's going to need to stop hitting the ball in the air quite this much. I don't think he's got the power to make this approach work. He's literally in Joey Gallo territory as far as fly ball rate without Gallo's crazy raw power. Something else to note is that Wade appears to be in a strict platoon right now, sitting in 12 of the last 13 games that they've faced lefties in. Next, we're going to talk about Jake Fraley. Nothing has changed here. Fraley is still my favorite 
power, speed, OBP threat in this sub 20% range. In fact, he might be the only guy that fits that description in the sub 20% world. Something to monitor for the OBP though, is that his walk rate is like half of what it was last year, which is alarming because not only does that impact his OBP, it directly impacts his stolen base opportunities. So I'm, I'm a little, little more cold on Fraley than I was a week or two ago. The, the more he, the longer he goes without walking like he did last year, the more concerned I get kind of like Jose Barrero and his striking out like 50% of the time, the longer it goes on, the more dead he is to me. Next, we're going to talk about Christian Arroyo. I hate when I mention a guy on the podcast as an aside, like just briefly mention him and then he goes nuts because like, yeah, I did mention him and I can do my little victory lap because I said something about him, but I wasn't like emphatically telling you guys to add Christian Arroyo. Anyways, Arroyo is playing like one of his best case outcomes right now. He's not striking out much. He's putting the ball in play a ton and the balls he hits are finding grass. I added him as my Tim Anderson replacement in my AL only home league, and I have been loving it so far. Just a just a little humble brag. On the same AL only team, I have in the deep favorites Ramon Urias, Jose Miranda, Harold Ramirez, Luis Renjifo, Ramon Laureano, Reed Detmers, Christian Javier, and now Arroyo and Voth, and they're all thriving. And needless to say, I'm up like 10 Roto points on second place in that league. And it's a blast when the guys that we talk about here on the podcast thrive, because not only does it help me, but hopefully you guys are listening to me on some of these on the right ones, because obviously I don't get them all right. Don't tell Jordan I said that, but uh, you know, ho- hopefully I'm helping you guys to some championships as well. All right. Our next player J.D. Davis, another episode, another J.D. Davis mention. He's got a casual 1100 plus OPS and a 200 plus WRC plus since joining the Giants. And while he doesn't start every game, he has sat in six games since joining the Giants and gotten in as a pinch hitter in three of them while also getting multiple plate appearances in a couple of those games. So like, yes, he's not starting every game, which is a bummer for his potential production, but he's, you know, he's getting more plate appearance, plate appearances than you would think, given that information. Next, we're going to talk about Chaz McCormick. Unfortunately for me, as a, a former Jake Myers fan, Jake Myers may have used up the last of his goodwill, both with Dusty Baker and, and more importantly with me. And he has now sat in four straight and six out of eight games. And the person that that most directly benefits is Chaz McCormick, who is on another hot streak. And as mentioned before on the podcast, is a quality bat. Somehow, after all of his ups and downs this year, McCormick is on pace for a 25 plus home run season if he were to get 600 plate appearances. And that's kind of, <laughs> that's what I said back in like April or May. and. Now we're here and he's done pretty much what I said. And I don't actually like really believe it because it's been such a weird up and down season for him as far as playing time goes anyway. Uh, all right. Lars Newt bar. I still love Newt. Please refer to last week's deep dive. If you want my, my full take on Lars Newt bar, 
nothing has changed really. A weird quirk of the Cardinals lineup right now is that against righties, Newt Bar hits leadoff. But then against lefties, he hits ninth. Obviously, this is better than a platoon. And being the strong side leadoff guy is awesome. But it's just just a weird arrangement. I'm not sure how often I, I really see that kind of thing. He has now played in every single game since July 24th. So just like the Cardinals are doing, keep plugging him into your lineups. All right. Our next player is Eli Harris Montero for the Colorado Rockies. Montero continues to play every single day for Colorado. And generally, those two things alone, being a Rocky and playing every day, means a player is worth rostering in deep leagues. Uh, He hit two home runs today, which is awesome. That's great. But for me to get excited about a player personally, or or for if for me to get excited about Montero, I I need to see him cut the strikeout rate a little bit and walk more than two percent of the time. I don't think he's the kind of power bat that can survive with a thirty plus percent K rate. It's he just doesn't seem like that kind of player. I mean, it wouldn't be the first time that a player kind of changed their profile upon reaching the majors, but he he just doesn't seem like that. It's not even three true outcomes because he doesn't walk. He doesn't seem like that Javi Baez kind of bat. And our next player is JJ Blade. Our friends over at fellow PitcherList Podcast Network podcast Wins Above Fantasy, Steve Jaswelli and Van Burnett put together a list of potential breakout players meeting certain criteria in swing decisions, quality of contact, among other things. And one of the players on that list who stood out to me was J.J. Blade. Uh, I would go listen to that episode if I were you. Don't give on J.J. Blade just yet. I'm still a big fan. And the Marlins are still playing him every day pretty much. He sat today, but I think that was more of a routine day off. He still has power. He still makes enough contact. He still has good enough plate discipline. I I still think J.J. Blade has a... Has, a good chance to be a productive major league hitter. The last hitter we're going to talk about today is Stone Garrett. And with a name that sounds more like instructions for a medieval punishment than a baseball player, Stone Garrett kind of flew under my radar this year, but he's played in all three games since being called up. In the minors this year, he hit 28 home runs with 15 steals and he put up an above average batting line. So I I mean, I guess he's worth a dart throw. He's not someone I'm personally running out to add, but I mean, three of his first four major league hits have been doubles. So he is stinging the ball early on. He doesn't have a dinger to show for it yet, but he seems to have the power to make that happen. All right, that's our last hitter. We are going to talk about a few pitchers today, starting with J.P. Sears. Every year, the A's seem to turn at least one or two boring pitchers into someone that you want to roster in fantasy. And while that is not good baseball analysis, they do seem to just keep doing that every single year. It's like the the Rays and their random relievers. The Oakland A's and their nondescript starting pitchers is just a thing that happens year after year after year. Well, they added J.P. Sears at the trade deadline from the Yankees and he has casually put up a 1.74 ERA in his first two starts. However, his next two starts are against Seattle and the Yankees, two teams that are currently on very different trajectories, 
but also two offenses that I don't generally want to stream against. I'm avoiding JP Sears for now, but I'm keeping an eye on him as a streamer for later on in the year. Matt Manning is another player that I am bringing up strictly because Jordan is here staring at me and silently making direct eye contact for the last 30 minutes. But uh, Matt Manning has been awesome so far, which are words I did not expect to find myself saying at any point this year. Next week, he gets the San Francisco Giants in Comerica in Detroit, which is a stream that I am very, very comfortable running out there. I think if, if I quizzed all of you, all of you listeners for who the 10th overall pitcher was on the player Raider over the last 15 days, I I do not believe that anyone, any of you would ever guess who it actually is. And that is Drew Smiley. You cannot stop Drew Smiley. You can only hope to contain him. I was impressed at the awkward swings that he was getting when I watched him pitch against the Mets earlier this year. And he has been legitimately awesome lately. I honest, I, I said last week that Smiley was one of my favorite streamers that was widely available just because he has he has a bit more strikeout upside than your usual streamer at this point. And I, I he's probably one of the better arms available in, in a sub the sub 20% land. Dean Creamer gets uh gets Boston at home before the uh, a road trip over to Houston. And I'm good with that first start. I would I will absolutely run Dean Kramer out there at home, but I'm not gonna use him in Houston. So I mean, if if you you know have the liberty to just grab him in first start and then toss him back out there, I would do that. But also, I kind of expect him to be more good than bad for the remainder of the year. So you know, if your waiver wire is relatively shallow and he's out there, grab him and hold him. Skip the Houston start and then, you know, run him out there for the next one. Ryan Yarbrough gets the Royals on Sunday, which I am super good with. But then his next start is going to be at Boston, which I'd be less enthused about. But, you know, Boston has been pretty rough lately and Yarbrough has tackled good offenses before. This is a risky one. And I don't like it's a it's it's a low ceiling, low floor stream. But I I think it like I don't know it's weird. We'll call it a mid ceiling, low floor, uh, stream because there's a chance he throws three innings, strikes out one player, and gets knocked out. Or you know he could throw he could throw together a quality start pretty easily too. Uh, Ryan Yarbrough is just a, a a pretty low upside arm. So the Pirates have a few interesting guys in our range in JT Brubaker, Mitch Keller, and Romancy Contreras, but they have a just a brutal stretch of schedule coming up against Atlanta and Philadelphia. So I am sadly, I am avoiding all Pittsburgh pitchers over the next eight or 10 days or so. Lastly, for our starting pitchers, Glenn Otto has a fun stream coming up against Detroit, but yeah, I, I could kind of take him or leave him. He's he's a desperation stream for me, but a, a desperation stream that I'm I'm kind of comfortable with. I guess that makes it not a desperation stream. Whatever words are hard. I've been talking to myself for 35 minutes. Leave me alone. 
All right, that is it for our honorable mentions. So what we are going to do before we go is I am going to quickly go through a, our bullpen power rankings, which is a thing that I started started to do last week because, uh, you know, maybe you need some saves. We are at the time of year where it is, well, we, we are past the time where you need to be scoreboard watching in your leagues. So if you need to make up ground and saves, this is the section for you. Although in sub 20% land, there are not many saves to go around. At the top of our 20% or less bullpen power rankings is Alexis Diaz, who, for those of you who don't know, Alexis Diaz is Edwin Diaz's brother. And he has done a really good impression of his brother over the last couple of weeks. Seriously, look up his numbers. They've been silly. The, the brothers Diaz have combined to strike out basically the world lately. So he's my favorite guy available in this many leagues. And he is followed up by Jonathan Hernandez, who I thought Jonathan Hernandez was going to be in more of a like a closer committee, but it seems like he's got the job locked down. Jose Leclerc did get a save six days ago, and I, I would be a little bit worried about Leclerc going forward. But I mean, these guys are pretty similar as pitchers and Jonathan Hernandez has been better this year. So I'm, I'm comfortable taking Jonathan Hernandez as like my number two here in these rankings. After them is I'm confused by the Washington Nationals bullpen situation. I thought that Kyle Finnegan kind of had that job on lock. But also Carl Edwards Jr. has two saves over the last couple of weeks, which kind of just threw a wrench into the way I was thinking. Fangraphs has them listed as the co-closers. Kyle Finnegan does have the last two saves, so I would keep rolling with him. And the only reason that I don't have Kyle Finnegan above Jonathan Hernandez is because of this little bit of confusion between him and Carl Edwards Jr., if I had the choice, like if I knew that Kyle Finnegan was the sole closer there, I would have him second on this list. Next is going to be a few guys who aren't closers, because honestly, there's there's not many to go around right now in this territory. So when you can't have the elite, when you when you can't have closers, sometimes an elite middle reliever will do just as well. They won't get you those saves, but they will pile up strikeouts, get you those ratios. And, you know, hopefully Vulture a winner a save here or there. I've talked about him many, many a time on this podcast. I still love what Andres Munoz is doing. I I, I, I don't ever want to wish bad uh, appearances on a pitcher. But, man, I if Paul Sewell blows like one save and they let Andres Munoz run with that job, I, I just think he'd be another Edwin Diaz out there. In a similar vein, there's James Karinchak, who is behind an even more established elite arm in Emmanuel Classe. So I don't think Karinchak is going to get a save opportunity anytime soon, you know, unless it's a rest day for Classe. But both Munoz and Karinchak have been incredible at striking batters out lately. So they're, you know, quality bullpen arms to, to roster, even if they're not getting regular saves. 
Similarly, uh, Matt Brash has been awesome for Seattle. Seattle just has an incredible collection of bullpen arms. I'm actually like kind of worried about them getting into the playoffs in a wild card spot because, man, they have the arms to make a playoff series with them very daunting. So after that group of players, the only situation left that I see that might be ripe for getting saves. So Rowan Wick is above 20% now, but it appears that the Cubs have gone to more of a committee lately. So you might be able to get some saves out of Brandon Hughes or Mark Leiter Jr. got a save recently, although I think that might have been fluky. Uh, I, Brandon Hughes might be a guy that can get you saves going forward. And then there's the Los Angeles Angels, who I, I talked about last week, not wanting to touch that situation at all. Nothing has changed there. I, I would not add Jimmy Herget or Jose Quijada if I could avoid it. But uh, if I had to choose between the two, it, it would be uh, Quijada just because of the strikeout potential there. And lastly, across town from them, the LA Dodgers. I do not think that Craig Kimbrell is very good anymore. He seems like he's kind of washed. So I would be watching that situation like a hawk right now if I needed saves because they have like three relievers better than their closer. And if Evan Phillips, Chris Martin, or um, uh, Alex Vesia wind up getting saves there, they'd suddenly become wildly valuable. Although it's funny, the, the Dodgers, for being as good as they are, they don't actually generate that many save opportunities. Like you would think the best team in baseball, like they were, they would get a closer with 40 saves, but really they only have like something like 27 saves across the whole roster. It's really, really weird. Kimbrell himself only has 21 and hopefully... Hopefully that number doesn't go up too much more because they really, really should not have him in that role much longer. But we'll see. They're, they're paying him a lot of money to be bad. All right. And uh, with the end of the bullpen power rankings, we are done with this episode. As I said earlier, if you want to reach out to us, you can reach out to us on our social media, our Twitter accounts, at Bunt Singles for Jordan or at Schwebzy for myself, S-H-W-E-B-S-I. You can reach us at our joint Twitter account, at InTheDeepPL. And uh, like I said at the top of the episode, we're going to be doing one more episode on the 27th, and then probably taking two weeks off as I enjoy my honeymoon 15 months after my wedding. Uh, I will be in sunny St. Lucia, hopefully. And uh, yeah. That is uh that is it for the week. So uh have a good week. Make it to your playoffs. And bye friends. Mm-hmm.